we were doing mission work in the Ukraine and uh, the, the nationals, thank you so much. <laughs> Watch, that table will be full by the time I'm done speaking, all kinds of we're doing mission work in the Ukraine, and, and um, the nationals would take us. We drew such a crowd everywhere we went, because we're Americans. They had never seen Americans before. We're the enemy for, five, for 50 years, and now there's these little remote villages deep, deep, deep in Ukraine, and they'd never seen a Westerner before. And, and uh, uh, we had bags of clothing and um, aspirins and topical salves and things to give away. And, and so the nationals would take us, and we were the biggest circus that ever came to town in any place we went. And I always drew a crowd, and people always got saved. And they finally, one time they said, now there's one village, the, the name literally is translated the Stoning Village, because they've, in their past they stoned people there, Christians. And they're not open to the gospel at all. So let's take your group there and just see what happens. And so one of our teams... <laughs> went there and got off the van and, and uh, wouldn't you know, a group came out and they picked up sticks and stones and they threw them at them and, and they couldn't, they wouldn't listen. And so the group had to get back on the van and they, were, you know, they didn't go to the mayor's house first. There were some things that maybe might have made that a little easier, but they had to flee. And so all the, the six months in between trips, the first village that they wanted to get back to the next time was that stoning village. That was their goal, and they prayed for six months that, that they could go back there, and I went back on the second trip. And so we offloaded the, the van that day, and we had bags of clothing, we had baggies of aspirin, and uh, calendars, and fish hooks, and garden seed, and just stuff that we collected, and stuff we could haul in, and and I remember stepping off the van, and the, the, the villagers greeted us with stones and, and sticks and cursing. I remember this little old lady walking beside me, and she cursed me up one side and down the other. And they were so angry that they had, we'd come back to this village. And we just, this time, we just kept walking and, and handing out blue jeans and handing out whatever we had. <coughs> and as we did it, they, they were shouting to the... Their, their neighbors saying, don't take this stuff. They're trying to buy you. They're trying to buy you. Don't take their stuff. And they're, so it was really tense. It's a, it's a one-street village with these little log houses on both sides of a cobblestone road, and we just kept walking down that road, and they would come out, and they were so angry that we're there. And I remember one guy, uh, uh, our translator, went to take a photograph, and this guy got a hold of him and grabbed his hand and, want, and was saying through clenched teeth, give me your camera, give me your camera. And for whatever reason, the guy wouldn't let go. He didn't care about the camera, but he was just frozen. And this guy had his big hand up over his head. He was just going to pound him. And uh, he was so powerfully built. And our, our, the guy he had a hold of was just shocked. And uh, they froze like that in this lock Seemed like, seemed like an hour, but it was probably only about five minutes or so. And finally, uh, Volodya, one of the guys that was working with us, walked over to the guy, whispered something in his ear, and he lowered his hand and sulked off in anger. I asked him later, I said, what'd you, what'd you say? He says, well, these people just had breakfast with the chief of police, which we did. And, and he said, if you touch him, you'll go right back to prison. He had just gotten out of prison. 
And uh, he said, you'll go right back to prison. And, and he finally relented and dropped his hand. And, and, that ten, and then a guy just like him, looked just like him, probably a brother, came, come and came into the village on a, with his horse and cart and, and came up and so fast, and you could see the anger. And he's saying, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I'm saying, Lord, help me. Show me what to say. Show me. So I, I just said, do you have any sick children at home? And he looked puzzled, and he kind of shaking himself. I said, bring your sick children. We'll pray for them. We have a doctor on our team. He'll help them. And uh, the guy slapped the, the reins on the back of his horse. The cart actually went up on two wheels and went around the corner, and he fled out of town and came back, and in the back of his cart were these sick kids. I didn't know anything about that. I just said what came to my mind. And, and so our doctor stepped in and, and started praying for them and looking after them and checking out whatever was wrong with them. And they, they hated us, but we just kept walking and walking. And so we got to the end of the village and started walking back toward the van. And I'll never forget this. Uh, over their fences, they would hang over the fences baskets of cherries and baskets of apples and bread, all kinds of bread. And they're... Uh, uh, eggs, baskets of eggs, and they're, they're now giving to us. Well, once they gave to us, we had them. I knew that, was, that village was one when, when they started giving. Giving is a huge cue. Uh, it's a huge clue for, for a lot of things. When you have unbelieving neighbors, and un they're, if they're giving, there's something to it. Their hearts are open. It, it's an avenue. You can't exploit that. You can't take advantage of that, but you can't say no to it. You must let it happen. And the Lord, will, he'll, I, just, I just see it as something that he'll be able to come back to. If we take those eggs and those bread, and they weren't throwing them at us. They were giving them to us. And we just gave them away in the next village. But we had to take them. It was imperative that we take them in the same spirit and, and let that happen. Jesus did that. And we, we need to do it. I mean, when people would, uh, Zacchaeus would uh, feed him, Jesus knew that, that once that giving happened, that's, that's plumbing that Jesus can come back down through. I knew we now had a church in that village, and we did. We, we found a house. We got a pastor and his wife, and they went there. They lost a few windows a few times. People threw stones through the windows. But there's a church in the Stoning Village to this day. Through Yes, bless the Lord. Came from giving away fish hooks and old denim jeans and baggies of aspirins. There's something about giving that God uses. We didn't have a chance to speak to them, so we just gave to them. And then once, once they gave to us, we knew we had their hearts. It was, that was the life-changing experience for them. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We read this yesterday in verses... Uh, the first few verses, down to verse 4, he's talking about the churches in northern Greece. He's writing to the churches in southern Greece. Macedonia is a county or a region. The capital city is Philippi. And he's writing to the Corinthians and Achaia, which is the region, 
like Macedonia, it's Achaia. And he says, uh, uh, these people were going through such a trial of affliction, but they had an abundance of joy. They had deep poverty, but they were very liberal. So here they are, they're under persecution, they're having all kinds of affliction, but they're givers. And that fact that these people were giving was noted all over the world, all over the known Christian world. Paul says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us. That's like, can I, huh? Can I, huh? Can I? Can we? Don't say no. Can we? Yeah. Can we? We want to give. Don't say no. Come on. We want to give, imploring us with much urgency that we'd receive the gift and the koinia. That's there's something in money that when you, when you give to somebody, there's something that happens. Tubes get connected from heart to heart. Koinia happens. And they had given themselves first to the Lord, and they were doing it for the pleasure of God. So Paul gets into this whole thing about desire and the right way to manage this. He says, you know, verse 12, having a willing mind. Verse 8 says, not by commandment, but out of love. Uh, there's so many verses in here uh, that relate to the way we should give. And uh, now the, the companion section of Scripture to what we just read is Philippians chapter 4. So keep your finger there, but go, go to Philippians, turn west few pages, quarter of an inch of type, quarter of an inch of, of, of paper. Philippians chapter 4. Now, he's, now we're talking to the churches in Macedonia. So the, the, it's, it's the Philippians. And now this is Paul's letter to them. And he says, you know, I, I rejoice greatly, verse 10, that now alas your care for me has flourished again. Uh, Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Both those things happen to even apostles like Paul. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both how to be full and how to be hungry, both how to bound and how to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a very important thing. That's a discipleship thing. Jesus will take you through that so that you can know how to manage. Uh, it, it probably takes more grace to manage an abundance than it does to manage a lack or a need. And so that's a harder lesson. He'll test you with abundance. Uh, he'll do that. He's, he's done that in my life. Now, watch this. He says, uh, nevertheless, you have done well, and you have shared in my stress, in my distress. You shared in my stress. That's a powerful thing. Let's just stop here. I, I should have done this earlier, but I was joking around. Can we just bow our heads and pray for our brothers in Hades who are going through distress? Here they are. They've had an earthquake, and then, then a, 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 a hurricane 
reign on top of that. And there are brothers and sisters. Can we just bow our heads right now and say, Lord, I stand with our brothers and sisters in distress. I pray for them. I ask that you turn this around for good. I ask that this would spread the gospel. I, I pray that this would open up hardened hearts that would otherwise never harden, never open. I'm asking, Lord, that you would supply miraculously for our brothers and sisters, that you'd multiply food in their hands, that you keep them, that you give them an opportunity to share your love with people all around. That's their heart's desire. But I'm asking for new housing, new shelter, new provision that it would go into the right hands, that it would fall into the right hands, that it would be a message from you that you care. Be with our brothers and sisters in Kabul this morning, all throughout Afghanistan. Jesus, show them how to navigate this thing that's happened to them. But we pray that in the end, that all would be for your glory and honor and praise, that you'd be magnified, that people would come to know you Myriads of people would come to know you. The most blackened, hardened heart would come to know you. Jesus, use what's happening. Use our failure somehow for the gospel. Use our weakness somehow for the gospel. I pray that it would all turn around for your, for your glory and for your honor and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 4 that's, that's, this is the, the companion section to what we just read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's the same story, the same time. He says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, and they were the first people to receive the gospel in Europe. So when he's talking about the beginning of the gospel, he's talking about when he first went to Philippi. Remember there was that Macedonian call that said, Come here. And this man was inviting Paul to come and walk among them and work with them. And he got there, and he, the, the first thing that happens is this woman, a, a wealthy businesswoman, uh, her heart was open to the gospel in a creek bed where they were praying. And next thing you know, a church was born in her house named Lydia, a woman named Lydia. Well, that's the Philippian story. He says, so you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, he had to flee because of the persecution. He said, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, that's where he fled, you sent once and again to my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound and I'm full and I've received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing the God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So these, these Philippians, Paul got among them, and they're poor. Paul got among them, and he taught a principle called giving and receiving. Uh, it's also known, Jesus taught it, as sowing and reaping. It's the same principle. And he, Paul got in among these poor people, and he taught them about giving and receiving. In fact, he taught it everywhere he went. He taught it in all the churches, but not everybody bought it. Isn't that interesting? He taught the grace of giving, and there are churches that said, uh-huh, uh-huh. But they didn't do it. They didn't act on it. They didn't participate. There was, there, they, didn't, they didn't sign on. 
Isn't that interesting? He said, you were the only ones who did. I got among you, and I told you how this thing works. It's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like a law. It's like, it's like gravity, that what goes up must come down. It's a law. If you give, you shall receive. It's a law. If you sow, you will reap. If you sow to your flesh, you'll reap of your flesh destruction. If you sow to your spirit, you'll reap of your spirit Zoe, life, eternal life, life that doesn't come from around here. Not going to heaven, but life now, spiritual life. You can have more spiritual life by giving away natural things. That's why, that's why when you go to a conference or something like that, I always felt like the Lord was stirring my heart to give. And I, and I can't prove this, and it's hard to teach it theologically, but I just believe that if I gave into whatever was happening, somehow it would open up my ability to receive from the Lord the thing I needed, which was be more grace or a word from him. And I just, every place I went, I just gave from the start because I wanted to receive. I just believed in the principle of giving and receiving. I believed in the principle of sowing and reaping. I believed it as a, a law that it must happen. And if I didn't have anything to give, I mean, I would, I would fast the, the lunch meal so I had something to give because I wanted to receive. It wasn't to trick God. It wasn't to manipulate God. I just believe it's a principle. Paul taught it. Can you imagine teaching you gather all these poor people around you and you say, well, why would you do that? They're so poor. Well, that's why you would do it. You want the grace of giving to kick in. You want it to start. Even if it's a handful of rice, give away a handful of rice. Even if it's a piece of charcoal, give away a piece of charcoal. Give something. Get that process of giving and receiving started. That's what he was teaching them. So he said, now I teach this everywhere I go, but you're the only church that bought into it. And so I went, I went to the next town, and you're not going to get anything out of me by me being with the Thessalonians. But you said, no, we're not going to benefit from his ministry to the Thessalonians. But he taught giving and receiving. Let's, let's send to his supply. Let's help him. Let's pay his way. Let's send food. Let's send money. Let's send whatever he needs. Even though we're not directly benefiting from his ministry, we're going to support his ministry. And, and Paul marveled. He shook his head and he said, boy, they, they got it. They got it. Everywhere I've gone, these people. And now he's down in Corinth. He's down the very bottom of, of Greece. And, and Aphroditus comes showing up from, from Philippi. And he says, by the way, here's, here's some stuff. And, and Paul said, I was, in, I was in need, I was hungry, and, and this refreshing, this sweet-smelling sacrifice showed up in the armloads of stuff from Philippi through the hands of Ephroditus. And he said, I just want to let you know what that did. And he says, here's, here's how we end this whole thing. My God shall supply... All your needs, according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. 
not by any economy of man, not by Roman economy, not by some bank in, in the earth, but by treasures in heaven. There's an account. You have an account. Every time you give, there's some kind of ledger in heaven that says they just gave, and they gave sacrificially. We'll move that into a ledger. They actually have an account, and you can draw from that account as you have need of. He says, may God, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking for more stuff. I just want fruit for your account. I want something to happen in your account. So here's the promise. And this promise was given to one church. You can't find this promise anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not in any other epistles. It's not written to any other group. It's written to the Philippians, uh, the Philippians because they're the church at Macedonia who just bought the concept. My God shall supply all your need according to the economy of heaven, according to what's in this in account. There are lots of Christians who claim this verse who are not entitled to claim this verse. But it's the go-to verse. It's the number one verse when you're in financial need. It's the number one verse people claim. It's on, it's on placemats, it's on refrigerator magnets, it's, on, it, it's, it's just the, the go-to verse. But it wasn't written for everybody. It was written for people who caught the concept and buy the concept and act on the concept and follow through with that desire to give, even though they're not going to directly benefit from the people that they're giving to. Isn't that powerful? When I read first, or 2 Corinthians 8, and, and they, they implored Paul, can we ha, can we ha, I remember thinking, what do they see? What is it that they, they caught something that made them say, we want in on this. Please don't say no. They implored us that with much entreaty that, that we could give. What they saw was a principle of giving and receiving this, just as true as the law of gravity. Our little church, we're, we've been small all these years, but we're givers. And we find ways to give. We look for, we never have to squeeze us to get us to give. You don't have to trick us to, we are, we are giving. We're giving people. And we've been that way. So we, we had, we moved $1,500 into a bank account for a building program because I felt like the Lord was putting a, a strong burden on my heart that we needed a building. If we'd stayed at the Baptist church, which we rented for 10 years, who knows what would have happened during COVID, but we would have had to close down, probably, because they did. I felt a pressure from the Lord at every waking moment. I just, I, I just believing for a building. So I told Loretta, I said, let's move $1,500 into a building fund by faith, 1500 bucks. And I would be sitting out in front of this building, which was the mental health clinic, and we're believing the Lord that they would give it to us somehow. We found out the hospital owned it. Well, they didn't want to talk to us. They didn't want to sell it. So we would just park in the parking lot and say, Lord, if this is our building, give it to us. Nelson would walk the property and, and believe God, and we just believed. I mean, it was impossible. We knew it cost more than a million dollars to build it. We didn't know what they would sell it for, but we just believed it. And wouldn't you know it, one day they called and we, we, we got the building and they held the mortgage and it was just a miraculous thing.
But we invited a group of pastors to come and pray, and they stood in the, in the, among the debris of our first effort to clean out uh, all the walls and partitions, and they stood there, and one of them began to prophesy, and this is what he said. You have an account in heaven, and there's much to draw from. Draw as much as you like for whatever you like. And we just went on a spending spree. We bought, we bought whatever we wanted without checking what was in our physical bank account because we had an account in heaven. And we never missed a payment on anything. We never behind, never one minute behind. Everything was paid. Everything was there when we needed it. But the word was, you have an account in heaven. Begin drawing on that account. And we just bought the best of whatever we wanted to buy, whatever we needed. Not in a crazy way, not in a teenage kind of way. <laughs> but a mature, responsible, Mennonite kind of way. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll tell you, we had fun with that. I remember different times we'd need something. We'd look around the table, and we'd talk, and we'd laugh, and we'd say, do you think that account's still open? <laughs> well, let's try it. Go ahead. Order it. You know, the account has never been closed. But we're givers. We believe in this thing. We're committed to it. Do we have needs? Is there times where we're based and times when we're bound? That happens. Pruning's a reality. That's a spiritual principle. If God wants to take you to another level, he'll prune you. We, we, that doesn't mean that God's, we've out of favor with him or our account's empty. That's just... You have to know spiritually where you are at any season. Paul said, I just learned. I know. I know. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know, I know how to be hungry, and I know how to be full because it's part of discipleship. It's something that Jesus will take you through. We just have to sign on for it. This whole grace of giving is one of the sweetest concepts that I've ever, I've ever learned. It's a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of dealing, a lifetime of Jesus working with me, but I'm, 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 I delight in it. I'm hooked on it. When we started going to Ukraine, we were the poorest, smallest church in our county. There were seven other Mennonite churches that were flush with everything. And we were, we were in, a, in an old farmhouse that needed paint that just was, uh, had three or four different color carpet, had, had different, different color wallpaper on the walls. I mean, we were the smallest poorest church. In fact, before that, that was an upgrade. Before that, we were in an old warehouse that was an abandoned, had abandoned cars out front. The people thought the name of the church was Gould's Pumps. <laughs> and it had all the plumbing showed. It had streaks of rust running down the walls. And it was that institutional green. But we had the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord would come and we'd get lost in him. And people would come and find us. We had no sign. We had nothing. You couldn't even see out the windows. They were so dirty. But we knew it was just a place just to grow. And we grew. We filled that place. We got this house. We're the smallest, poorest church in our county. And then the Lord started to open up India and Ukraine and places like that. And we just started giving. And we, we said, well, what do we have? When someone says, I've got some fish hooks. And someone else says, I've got a stack of really nice looking calendars, and someone else says, I've got baggies of, uh, we couldn't even give away whole bottles of aspirin, we would just give away baggies, because we can give away 10 baggies rather than one bottle. 
We just gave away what we had. We emptied our, our, our medicine chests at home, and whatever we could find, and we just put it in. We could take two 70-pound suitcases. We'd wear clothes and, 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 and pack stuff to wear over there, but the goal was to leave the suitcase, leave the clothing, and come home with a toothbrush. And we did that different times. We got over there, and we saw people in poverty that we'd never known before. We'd go to a store, and it would be just it would be empty. There'd be one jar of something gray that we didn't even know what it was, and that would be the whole store stock. We saw poverty that we'd never seen in India. Deep, 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 deep poverty. We'd come into a village, and we'd just start giving out our stuff. And you give people a bag of aspirin. I remember one lady, and she had, two, she had a major toothache. And we'd give away baggies of aspirin. It was like giving her gold. We met one pastor who had major bad pain in his, in his jaw, his teeth, and gave him a little bottle of Tylenol. It was like giving him gold. We would give away uh, garden seeds. Like we had all these pansies and pot, you know, different, different flowers. And we, never, we just kind of threw them in there at random. Well, when they saw them, they were so excited about them because they could grow them and enjoy them. Ukrainians love art and beauty and flowers. And, but then they could sell them in the marketplace, grow them and sell them. And so we were giving them a job or giving them uh, economy. And we just took over whatever we had, and God just multiplied it. It wasn't long. We, there's a place up in Rochester that, that uh, was a garden seed dis distribution center, and we'd order bulk seeds because we're working in the Chernobyl region, and we needed to replenish their seed. And... Uh, the guy from Rochester called and says, how come you keep asking for seed? What, what, are you, what are you doing with all the seed? We said, well, we haul it to the Ukraine in our suitcases and we give it away over there. He said, from now on, you can have as much garden seed as you want of anything you want. Someone else said, we got $5 million worth of expired uh, dated medicine. If you want it, you can have it. Give it away. We were eventually renting containers and sending containers over there. The U.S. government called us and said, you need more containers? We'll give them to you free. We needed a warehouse on the other end of it. We found this old factory, and we just bought it pieces at a time. And now it's this beautiful factory with a computer school, a beauty salon where they can train people how to cut hair. Uh, we took, hauled in a, a, a sewing machine. They got so excited about that sewing machine. So we came back home. We said, they like sewing machines. Next thing you know, we got all, all kinds of sewing machines. <coughs> so now we have a sewing school. And they're teaching ladies how to sew. Someone says, you need stuff to sew? I've got bolts, like bolts. Bolts as big around as a man. Bolts of, of denim. Do you want them? We said, we'll take them. And, and uh, then we needed a barn on this side. And so we got a barn and big, huge way scales and, and people and just tons of stuff started coming. Oh, someone gave us a whole dentist's office. Some, the, the local nursing home said, do you need beds? And, and we were building a Bible school over there. We needed beds. We, needed, we had bed pans. We had a truckload of bed pans. We had things that you wouldn't believe. And then on the other end, we had a warehouse that was growing that was just had mountains of, 
like prosthetic uh, legs, wheelchairs, walkers, all kinds of stuff. We met key people who were keys to the community who could distribute medicine and, and administer, administer medicine. Went to an, uh, uh, an orphanage and, and they had a, a, a little doctor shop there and, and they just antiquated old equipment and they said, we, uh, we, we desperately need help. And we started helping them and giving them beds and blankets and clothing and food and arranging for food. We gave away cows, we gave away horses, we gave away plows, we gave away all kinds of stuff. This, uh, I think it was the, uh, a nursing home or an orphanage that they needed a, an x-ray machine. And so we went to our local hospital and they had something stored away in a back closet somewhere. And next thing you know, we're hauling in all kinds of that. We took in bull semen. We had a guy <coughs> who did artificial insemination. And he wanted to go on a trip. And he says, I'm an artificial inseminator. What kind of cows do they have? And we said, Holsteins. He says, well, I've got prize Holstein semen. So he said, bring it. So, so he's got it all in this carry-on case that has... Uh, <laughs> and it has um, dry ice keeping it. And so... After a while, you know, this is happening. This is happening every few months. We're going through the airport, and and they're having a hard time with us, and they're starting to cut back. No more garden seeds, and and so they would confiscate all of our garden seeds. And then by the time we're out loading the van with stuff, they'd come around and resell the garden seeds to us. And uh, then they would say no more medicines, and we, you know, it just became this thing of having the dodge. How do we dodge these? these people who uh, were trying to prevent us from getting in. Well, we had duffel bags filled with medicine, just duffel bags, big army duffel bags. And, and they would lay it all out at the counter when we're going through to go through immigration. And they were always giving us a hard time. And, and the guy holds up the bull semen, and they said, what is this? <laughs> and we tried to explain bull semen. That's hard to translate <laughs> in any language. And, and the, art of the, the dry ice really threw them off. This thing was smoking. And uh, so all, all the immigration people are coming over. Just, uh, I just wanted to go kaboom or something. But uh, they're all fascinated with this dry ice apparatus that they let us. We just picked up all of our bags and carried them on through and just got on through. We knew that was all going to come to an end, and, and uh, the people who gave us a barn, uh, they were so gracious. Uh, Josie and you know, the Woodricks, they were so gracious. They gave us a barn, but she was a collector. She would collect things for an auction, like a Mennonite auction, and she had a stack of the most expensive quilts you could imagine. Like each quilt could net for auction maybe 1200 bucks or more. These were pieces of art, heirloom, heirloom quilts. And she had a stack of them. And our team was loading a container. And they were just, you know, all these young people helping. And somebody grabbed the whole stack of quilts and it got on the container. We don't know. Someone, someone on the other side there opened, opened that container and found all these heirloom quilts. It kind of changed our relationship a little bit. Uh, it, you know, we knew this was coming to an end. 
We were showing pictures in different churches. My, my translator, my uh, partner in this whole thing, a guy named Bodon Krop, who's a Ukrainian-American. He's part of our church, and he was leading this whole thing. And he'd show slides. I'd taken a picture of this little boy, and I wasn't shooting the boy. I, I, he had a block of wood that his dad had taken an ax to and shaped it into a truck. And he had a string nailed to it, and he was dragging it through the sand. No wheels, just dragging a block of wood. And that was his toy. And it moved me. And so I, I took a picture of him, not noticing that he had girls' shoes on. Well, when they showed that slide in a presentation at a church, this woman was so impacted by those shoes, she said, we have to get them shoes. We, and she began believing. She said, God, give me shoes. Give me shoes. Well, her husband, not knowing that prayer, went to uh, a, an auction. And the auction was in this old uh, public school. And what, the way they did the auction is they, the auctioneer was on this big desk on wheels, and they would push the desk from room to room, and he'd auction whatever was in the room. And he said, who'd give me 50 bucks for this room, 100 bucks for this room? And they'd go crazy, because it's just filled with junk. You don't know what you're going to get in this room. And they would just push him along from room to room. Well, this lady's husband uh, decided to get ahead of the auction, went down into a room, and when he turned on the light bulb with his fingers, it was filled with shoes. Tons of shoes. Every kind of shoe you can imagine. And when he went to turn the light back out, it broke. So when they pushed the auctioneer cart to that room, they couldn't get a light on. And he just joked. He says, who'll give me 50 bucks for the content of this room? And he said, I will. He says, yours. So now he owns a room full of shoes. So they get a truck, and they begin to sort it out. And they get, I think they get one ton of good shoes out of all that, and they, they load up a container, and someone says, well, they're going to need socks. Let's start making socks. And who wants to buy socks? The next thing you know, they got tons of socks. And they sent them. One day, a tractor trailer pulled up in some village, and they opened the door, and the, 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 the truck was filled with shoes because somebody prayed and said they need shoes over there. The Lord just gave us everything. Next thing you know, we're buying Mercedes buses and giving them to people. We're buying land. We're buying, we're buying cattle, pregnant cattle, pregnant horses, giving them away so that they could have something to give. It just went on. We saw a release of grace that made, us, made our minds real. It was just, we couldn't keep up with it. It was hilarious. We couldn't keep up with it. It just spread. While that was happening in Ukraine, the same thing was happening in India. We're buying buildings and lands and trying to get a chicken factory off the ground, all kinds of stuff. Governments come saying, how much land do you want? You can, have, make, you can grow coffee if you want these people to grow coffee. Just endless grace. And all it started with was the poorest church in town, the least amount of stuff, giving away fish hooks and baggies of aspirins. All we had to do is get in on the process because it's a law of giving and receiving. It's a law of sowing and reaping. It works. There's other laws. There's other, there's other things. There's pruning. There's different things that factor into all this. Something that happened to us. In fact, before this release of grace, we went through a time of pruning. And we thought there was something wrong. We thought maybe God 
we'd offended him in some way. It seemed like our finances were just so tight and, and dried up. And I'm seeking the Lord, say, Lord, if there's something in my heart, show me what's happening. And I shared it with an older seasoned pastor. And he says, God's pruning you. You've been faithful. You guys are givers. You've been faithfully giving. And he's taking you to another level. And the only way to get to another level is through pruning. And once we understood it, it didn't change except we relaxed and we weathered it out. And then next thing you know, he took us, out, took us to a level and we became one of the larger churches in the area, one of the most prosperous. We got a new building. All kinds of stuff happened. But it came through that, that flow of grace. So this isn't a theory for me. This is, this is the way we live. How many want to get in on this? We don't want your money. We want your heart. We want, you, we want the yes of your heart. We want, we want you to sign on. We, young people, I wish I, I wish I'd heard this when I was your age. Get in on this. It's delicious. It's wonderful. It's the best way to live. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Why don't you just close your eyes? Consider that the door of your closet where you can shut out all the distractions. Not everybody will buy this message. Not everyone believes it. But what about you? What about you? We're not taking up an offering. We're not exploiting your desire to give. I might not ever know what happens in your heart. But why don't you do business with Jesus right now? He's the great giver. <laughs> 